0: Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth, boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsapornshai. Last week, so we kind of started, I I guess, a podcast series on the attributes of God, as it were, from a podcast we did a few weeks ago. And we talked about, um, let's see, what did we, we talked about God's holiness last week. That's right. And uh, so today, I mean, what a providential time to discuss God's justice and righteousness. There's a lot of confusion around those things today, wouldn't you say?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, we use those words interchangeably quite often. They do not mean the exact same things. Whenever I go through a study of the attributes of God with um, a Bible study, um, this is one of the areas that I, I want to stop and help them understand the difference between one or the other, and it's, it's really a difference between law and order. Um, and, uh, and, and I think it really ties into God's holiness as well, And it's right at the center of the gospel, especially when you go through books like the book of Romans.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, it's a good place to say that when we talk about God's attributes, there is no attribute that can be separated from any of God's other attributes. Right. So God is sovereign and he's holy and he's love. And those things always simultaneously exist. You can't separate one from another, although we hear folks try to do that more and more these days. Um, I, I like to say when we talk about, and, and you're right, the words are very similar. In fact, if I remember correctly, they stem from the same uh, root word in the Greek. Yes. Um, I, I tend to tell people that justice is the way God legislates or enacts his righteousness, um, or, or at least in part. And, and yeah, so, I, I mean, brother, I can't think of any other attribute of God that's been highlighted more just in the last probably two years than this one, right? There's whole movements based yeah. on on so-called justice, um, and and it's interesting because you know when we think about justice, we have to ask the question: What is true justice? And that's defined by God, right?
1: Amen. Yeah. So whenever you go through the Old Testament, you see the word justice show off off show up often. God is a God of justice, uh, but. The question is, what does he mean by justice? And it's not, it's, not, um, it's not a mystery. You know, God revealed his law to the Israelites going back to the beginning, the five books of Moses. And that really is the standard that he put out there for justice and righteousness. In fact, when you get into the book of Romans, Romans shows us that there have been two manifestations of God's righteousness. One was the law, which is perfect and holy and just, but no one is able to meet that standard. And then thanks be to God that the second manifestation was Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, having given himself up as the propitiation for the wrath of God, um, he provided a way for us to be able to obtain that righteousness that we so desperately need. And without that righteousness, none of us would be able to get into heaven.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we talked about the words being slightly different. If you were to look up the definition of righteousness in the dictionary to say something to the effect of the quality of being right. Right. Um, or morally right or justifiable, and it you know so we're talking about God's character, who He is. Everything God does comes from His state of being a righteous being. God is not capable of doing something other than what is right um, b- by definition. Which that that may lead us uh, to t- talking about some things that I've seen recently on Twitter about you know Jesus repenting and and that yeah. sort of thing. Right. Um, it, it's not possible if God is a righteous God, and R.C. Sproul would have yelled at me right there and said, no, since God is a righteous God, uh, rather right. than if. Um, but it, yeah, I think a fundamental issue when we speak of God's attributes, and this one is no different, is we tend to judge God, um, or we, we tend to view God based on human understanding, right, on or on preferences. So we talked about a little about this last week, where we kind of categorize tiers of people into holiness, and then we just put God on the top tier. Well, we do the same thing with justice. Um, we look at what we, we tend as people to look at what we think is right or wrong, and then we'll make comments or we'll hear comments. We don't do this, but we'll hear other people make comments um, like, well, my God would never do that right? because it's not just Um yeah, yeah, go for it. So yeah, jump in yeah, there.
1: What, yeah, what what they're what they're doing when they say, "My God would not do that." They're not basing their answer based upon what Scripture reveals. They're basing their answer based upon what they think is right. Well, what they think is right is irrelevant. I mean, that's that was the problem in the Book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, mm. and so it's no different than what people are doing today when they start to make those judgments. And while we're not on the topic of love, um, the overemphasis upon of more of a humanistic love often drives what people think is righteous so when we talk about how god is loving they'll let loving get carried away into this kind of humanistic emotionalism whatever makes me feel good and then that ends up informing to them what actually is right or wrong well that's not the way right or wrong is determined right or wrong is determined by reading the bible and understanding what it is that the bible says and so i was just informed i the area that i live in is a relatively conservative area I was just informed this morning that there is a church um, one town over uh, and I don't know how long this has been going on, but someone from my church drove by that church and said that now there's two flags in front. There's the American flag and then there's the LGBTQ flag um, also flying in front. And so I think that's a great example of how justice to people, what is right uh, in, in the people's eyes is getting redefined to include what they think is right rather than what God says is right and justice when we talk about the difference between these two words, justice requires a standard of righteousness. Without a standard of righteousness, justice makes no sense. And <clears throat> without justice, righteousness is not upheld. Um, so they're, they're, both, um, they're both important uh, to each other, but righteousness is really, in my mind, what God deems as good and, and right, morally right, as opposed to morally wrong.
0: Yeah. Now, I mean, absolutely. And you know, you brought up the subject of love, and again, you can't really talk about one of God's attributes separate from His others, right? They are all are inter- intertwined, as it were. And I mean, the w- th- this is the thing we've heard the last couple years. Um, you know, God is love. God is love, and we understand that, and that's a true statement in and of itself. Until you get behind uh, the definition of whoever's using that, right? Well, what do you mean, God is love? And uh, it just reminded me of a conversation that I was having with a lady who insisted that her Jesus um, was a just and loving God and he would never violate. Um, right. So we really are talking about justice. He would never violate the woman's right to choose to have an abortion. Um, wow. and, and I just thought, well, you know, lady, the Jesus you worship isn't isn't Jesus of the Bible. Right. And that's not justice because justice demands Uh, a right action towards murder, which is what abortion is. But this is the kind of thing we're seeing a lot.
1: Yeah, and when she says that, that's exactly what she's doing. She's putting her feelings first, saying that my God is righteous, he is just, and and he would never take away the woman's right to choose. Well, he would never condone murdering someone who is unborn. He would never condone murdering someone who is helpless and defenseless, um, someone like an infant. So... When you make statements like that, it's, it's really kind of a manipulative statement to try to really elevate the woman's right to choose as if this is some sort of supreme right. It's just like how free choice advocates often will make uh, free choice as being the, mm. the greatest um, ability that man has or the most valuable um, ability that, that man has. And yeah, unfortunately that's, that's the case. And it, it can go in multiple different directions depending upon the narrative that people are trying to push. Right. So, I mean, if you're talking about the whole pro-choice or pro-murder abortion debate, um, those who are in favor of abortion will make statements like that. Well, God would never take away a woman's right you know, to choose. And if you talk about um, the, the, the law or you talk about LGBTQ, well, God would never take away my desire to be with someone that I truly loved. You know, so you, you can take that and point that in all kinds of different directions. And the social justice movement that you brought up um, over the last couple of years Um, That is getting really, I think, violently pushed into Scripture. And and Scripture, make no mistake, we are all created equally in the image of God. We are all of equal value, especially when we are saved and brought into the household of God. We're all joint heirs. Um, But sin is sin. And then, you know, there's this overarching emphasis upon racism as of late, especially that racism is presented like this capital sin. Well, if we're really uh, abiding by God's righteousness it's not just racism, it's, which, by the way, doesn't even show up in the Bible. It's partiality and hate, a combination of partiality and hate. But it's really everything that God says that is wrong. So we, we preach all of it. We, we look at all of it. And I think one of the complaints that people kind of throw in our direction is that they'll say we overemphasize the sin of homosexuality. Uh, in fact, that's that's how some of these debates recently have started. There was one lady who said that we shouldn't be focusing so much upon these sins of the homosexual community. Well, the reason why we do that is because there are so many people who are twisting it. There are so many people who are justifying it. There are so many people who are, you know, saying things like we should only whisper what God whispers. You know, they're they're actually taking it out of bounds. And when we look at, for instance, Romans chapter one, and it talks about how God handed people over, it's very clear that. Part of God handing people over included included kind of this sexual deviancy of homosexual mm. behavior.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's a really good point, that argument. It, it came up recently uh, for me as well. It, it's kind of a, an ongoing all the time thing now. Well, why do you speak so loudly about homosexuality and not about an adulterer? And, you know, one of the things that I'd like to bring out to folks is, you know, homosexuality it's not that it's the sin above all other sins. It is a different sin. We see that in Scripture. Um, but I don't know about you, but I, I have certainly in the past had homosexual people come into the church and I, and it's very obvious, you know, if they're a couple. But you know what I've never had in the church, or I've never heard of or I've never seen, if it happened, it would be a rare instance is no one walks in the church and says, "Hey everybody, I am an adulterer. I cheated on my spouse last night and you have to love me and accept me for that because it's who I am. Right. People don't do that. Um, yeah. That's, that's, that's a great point. That, that's it, a, that's a really great point. And, and if and they it, did,
1: we the would address it. Right. That's right. And, and even, even the stats show that the people in the homosexual community, they tend to have more partners than the average heterosexual. Now it's all sin. You know, you, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be having any, any of those kinds of relationships with anyone other than the person that uh, you are of one flesh relationship to, and it should be someone of the opposite sex. Um, but in terms of just the level of activity, it, there's been plenty of stats for decades now that showed how this community is very flagrant in terms of how they exercise their immorality with the multitude of partners, sometimes, oftentimes with complete strangers and places uh, that are dedicated for that, that purpose. But you're right, there is an outward flamboyancy that is often connected, not always. Some there are some people who are quote unquote closet uh, homosexuals or lesbians, um, but there is a flamboyancy of um, of folks that announce it to the world and want everyone to celebrate it in a way that we don't do in our heterosexuality, and not even with our own marriage uh, commitments. I mean, you know what happens between you and your wife and me and my wife? We we have a sacred relationship and everyone should know that we're married but we we don't announce that everywhere we go. So that's a I think that's a great point as well.
0: Yeah, and and you know again just to bring this back to you know God being a just god. I mean this is the very reason we bring these things out is because they are sin before a holy and righteous god. They are not morally right Um, acts to engage in. And and it's not just homosexuality. In fact, um, that seems to be a big one because it's sort of the big banner that everyone's putting out front there. But I mean, you think of critical race theory, which we've mentioned a few times. And I mean, really, uh, we're addressing this because it's a flamboyant display celebrating the sin of partiality. Right. And so lots of people are addressing it. If if in a year or two, um, all of a sudden, the whole culture started pushing, I don't know, pick a sin, um, how great it was to lie. Right. L- let's just pick that one. Um, then you would find most of us, if not all of us who care about what's right and good, starting to combat the fact that lying is a sin before a holy God. Um, it- it's just that, again, no one walks into the church and says, hey, guys, I am a liar. I love it. You should celebrate me for it. And uh, you can't believe anything I say because I'm just making it up. Um, If that were to happen, all of us would pull that guy aside and we would start having good conversations. Um, But that's just not what we see. And so it's really just a diversion tactic. I think the whole, well, why do you deal with this instead of something else? But, um, you know, and we're going to get into this. I mean, ultimately, God's justice demands a great penalty for our sin, right? um it's interesting the phrase uh well i think it was no justice no peace i heard um over and over and over again and so that's a weird combination because you're talking about justice and then you're talking about doing violence until you get justice um weird combination of things that don't go well together um people if people really wanted justice we would get hell right Um, exactly and Just talk to that for a minute. I mean, if, if our society really wanted justice, they'd be forced to, to beg for an eternal punishment, because that is the ultimate just penalty for wickedness, right?
1: Yeah, and that's, that's exactly right. So now when we look at justice and righteousness, just to define the two really quickly. So righteousness is that God always does what is right, what is morally right, and he is the one that determines that standard. That is him as the lawgiver, giving the laws and the commandments by which he expects man to abide. And then justice really speaks towards God as a judge. He is um, now he's evaluating what the penalty is for those who break the law. And we th- this concept should be very familiar to us. I mean, in society, we all have laws that we have to follow. And if we break those laws, well, there is a there is a there is a department that we refer to as the police department. Um, they're there to enforce it. And if they find a lawbreaker. They arrest us or they give us a ticket, and then we have to show up before a judge, and it's in the courthouse that justice is exercised. But you're absolutely right when we talk about ultimate justice. Um, this requires a, a knowledge of the depravity of man, that all of us are sinners. And the, also we have to understand that because God is infinitely holy, He is perfectly righteous and He is infinitely holy, we as sinners cannot even abide in His presence been going through the book of Exodus, and we know that in the book of Exodus, God says multiple times, no one can look at my face mm. and, and live, no one can see me and live. And so we have this perfect standard that God abides by. And we fall just one sin. James 2:10 says, even if you've committed one, you're guilty of all, right? So we are guilty of all just by committing one sin. And so when we talk about justice, what is the just penalty for that crime? Well, it's eternity in hell. It's eternity in hell, and it may sound unfair but eternity in hell, not simply because of the crime that we have committed, but because of the person that we have committed it against. And that's God who is an infinite, holy God. And so, yeah, justice, if we really want justice, all of us should be burning in hell. And that is also the proper response to someone who wants to believe that salvation should be for everyone, you know, or that they complain that salvation is only for some people. Well, that's not fair. Look, if you want fair, if you want just, we, we all go to hell. And that is That is the reality, and that is what should keep all of us as Christians humble, recognizing that the salvation that we have received is not on the basis of anything that you've done. It's not on the basis of anything that I've done. It's on the basis completely of what Jesus Christ has done and upon God's gracious choice of us. And so we're not in a position to brag because we contributed. It's the Jonathan Edwards quote, um, you have contributed nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Right. So we are not in a position to to brag and really a, a proper understanding of the righteousness of God should keep us humble in terms of those temptations to self-righteousness.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's Ephesians chapter two, right? Salvation is by faith so that no man can boast in his works. Um, and yeah, absolutely. It should make us um, extremely humble. It it should make us, I mean, it should, um, I, I mean, it should really make us the most gentle, caring, loving people, especially in how we interact with those around us. And obviously, none of us are perfect, and we're still working on that uh, part of the sanctification process. But if we, but we're talking about justice. That's what we should get. And the fact that we don't get that as believers, um, yeah, ought to cause just an overwhelming feeling of gratitude uh, because I, I deserve, that's what I deserve. And yet, in God's mercy, I, I don't receive that. Um. Yeah, And but in our society, you know, is constantly bombarding the church. And so when we're talking about this, I mean, one, because the, the, the church, I think the attributes are good to consider. And if we don't understand God and who he is and his attributes, if we don't understand what scripture says about these things, we run the danger of being carried away by these really false doctrines. I mean, let's just talk about that, um, because this is an area where. Christians hear the word justice and, and they think, yes, we're about justice. We're, yeah, absolutely. But then they get carried away by all kind of false doctrines that are being pushed now because the justice that's being taught doesn't line up with what we see in Scripture.
1: Yeah, I think of the book of Romans once again, and Romans is the place to go for a study on righteousness and justice. But Romans chapter 13 talks about the government, and we've mentioned this before on a prior podcast. The government bears the sword in order to punish evildoers and to reward those who do good. So, in some sense, we do expect that there is justice that's going to be ma- maintained in a on a civic level here, that there's gonna be laws that we created, we're gonna be expected to obey those laws, and we obey them unless we are called to disobey God, which I believe is the case with churches being told to close, the James Coates situation that we've talked about before. Uh, but Righteousness and justice, um, we expect some level of that to be upheld here. And being in America and, and with the right to vote, we want to vote in ways in which that's going to be upheld as much as possible. But we also have to remember, and this is very important, that God says over and over again that vengeance belongs to Him. He is the one who's going to get the ultimate vengeance. Justice, perfect justice, will never be achieved until the return of Jesus Christ and the final judgment comes that's when for perfect justice will be achieved. Until now, we're not going to have a perfect level of that. And what has been happening, especially with critical race theory and some of these human ideologies, is that they have gone beyond just the, just the words, just the, just the laws and, and the attempt to obey and, and the external obedience, and they've actually gone to the heart and they actually pretend to be able to read the motives. And even worse, they read the motives often based upon your skin color, Or your background which is not what we're supposed to do you know Jesus Christ could see into the heart of other individuals we can't and so all we can do is is judge externally um, to the best of our ability and even in in the nation of Israel in the Old Testament they would assign judges for this purpose and they and sometimes they even had to they they would even appeal to the breastplate of righteousness that Urim and Thummim right um, to, to get answers as well but we don't have the mind of God we don't have the knowledge of God and what we don't want to do is start to read into each other's motives because if I were to read into your motives Nathaniel as to why you did something and I'm wrong then I'm guilty of slander and unfortunately that's what we see that on a daily basis on Twitter and we have to fight that same temptation as well
0: yeah absolutely you know I'm thinking about um, just all the instances in scripture where God, exercised justice and you know i think of i want to go just remind folks of the new testament um, because we tend to gravitate towards well look at what god how he did all this in the old testament but you know i mean i'm, I'm constantly think of ananias and sapphira right and i think in man just imagine in today's world um if if someone were to be struck down dead in an instant because they lied That that's it. Now, I mean, I say that's it uh, as if it wasn't enough. But um, I mean, here we are, right after Pentecost. We're in the New Testament, and you know, these two married couple conspire together to lie. Um, Everyone's selling their property and possessions, and they're bringing it to the apostle to distribute as everyone needs. That wasn't an argument for communism, by the way. Just throw that out there, Um, and. And so Ananias comes and, you know, uh, he's bringing what he, part of what he sold to the apostle and he lies about it, right? There was no need to do that. He didn't, he wasn't told that he had to bring everything. He could have said, we sold it for X amount and we've brought a portion and it would have been fine. He didn't even have to
1: sell his property. He wasn't obligated to even sell.
0: Absolutely. Um, And, you know, I think in, in that moment, you know, he says, you've not lied to men, but the Holy Spirit and. Boom, he's struck dead. And then a little bit later, his wife comes and you go through this whole same thing. And he says, Well, the men who carried your husband out are going to carry you out too. She's struck down dead instantly. That was perfect loving justice. Yeah. And that yeah, might God, shock some people.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I mean, God, God loves what is right. He he loves his standard. And and even um uh, you know, when I think of Ananias and Sfire, it reminds me of Nadab and Abihu, right? The mm. sons of Aaron who lifted up strange fire, and then they were they were struck down immediately as well. And immediately, what Moses said to what Moses said to um, Aaron, or I think what the Lord said, was that he he is to be regarded as holy. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, even as God is striking them down, we might think that's unloving. No, God God is loving in everything that He does. It just doesn't get expressed the same way all the time. And it's just, just as uh, you look at the different letters of the Bible, when you look at the different epistles, they don't all focus on the same things all the time. They don't all give equal treatment to everything all the time. You go to the book of Ephesians and you see a lot of um, focus upon grace. You see a lot of focus, whereas you go to the book of Romans, you see a lot of focus on righteousness and justice. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to the book of Corinthians and he's addressing, you know, a lot of this kind of carnal Christian behavior. And so depending upon the scenario, depending upon the situation, um, God will bring about uh, different, he he will reveal different aspects of his attributes in in different ways, but it doesn't mean that you can pick and choose and separate one from the other. Um, God's act over Ananias and Sapphira, I would say at the start of the church, it was to help protect the church. It was to help send a message. And by the way, what's amazing, if I'm not mistaken, I think Ananias and Sapphira died three hours apart which gives you an idea of how long church service was, right? And the thing is, even after these two were struck down, service just continued. I mean, it was just it was like in Leviticus, after Nadab and Abihu were struck down, well, the worship doesn't stop, the consecration doesn't stop. They they got to keep moving on. Yeah. And so so God does this um, in, in various ways at various times, and we may think, well, what you know, that was unfair that He did it to them. But it goes back to what you said before. Well, if you really want what's fair, we all die in hell. And there's good reason to believe that for Ananias and Sapphira, the fact that that it was said that they lied to the Holy Spirit, there's good reason to believe that they were actually saved. They just made a bad decision at that time, and God said, you know what, you're not useful. And uh, they ended up in in a better place, Yeah, um, but without the opportunity to to build up additional treasures in heaven. But yes, what God does, um, we, we would never say that God is sometimes loving and sometimes wrathful no god is who he is but he's going to demonstrate it in different ways and when his wrath comes out you know i see that as the demonstration of his love for what is right his love for justice and at the same time there's grace in fact let me read one verse that i just preached on this past um this past sunday and this is from exodus 34 verses six and seven you remember moses had asked the lord let me see your glory show me your Mm -hmm. glory And then this is that big statement in chapter 34, verse six of Exodus, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. And so far we love all those things. But then he says, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. He -hmm. will not leave the guilty unpunished. What is that? That's That's his standard of righteousness being implied and his attribute of justice being applied. That the guilty will absolutely be punished. And for us, for you and me, our guilt is punished. Actually, it has been punished. So everyone's guilt is going to be punished. The blessing for those who have put their faith into Christ, though, is that it has already been bore on the cross. And so God's, and that's an example of God's righteousness being poured out upon his son. His wrath um, is really the demonstration of his righteousness against sin. Mm-hmm. And that act of righteousness was also the greatest act of love because he used that in order to bring salvation to all those who would believe.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, brother, there's so many gold nuggets in, in that. And I I think, I mean, again, we, we can't separate the attributes, right? So even when we see the wrath of God, like you've said, well, um, God's love is demonstrated in that his love for righteousness, his love for holiness um, and even his love for his people. I mean, let's not forget God says that he disciplines those whom he loves um, and certainly taking your physical life would be a discipline of you know, insurmountable uh, ways. But you know, I, 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 wanted the Apostle Paul addresses this very thing, and you made a good point. You know, God has the right to exercise his justice however he deems fit, and he has the right to have grace upon who he wants to have grace upon. And he doesn't always choose to do those in the same ways with the same people, um, and in uh, Romans 6, you know, Paul addresses this kind of very thing where he's talking about the fact that we have been given grace. Right. And he says, so what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be, you know, by no means. And the the reality is that God could, if he chooses, um, strike us down for a lie in the church, just like he did in Ananias and Sapphira. Praise God that he doesn't choose to do that very often. Um yeah. you know, that we see an abundance of grace, but that should cause us humility and desire to do what's right rather than take advantage. We, we should never presume upon God's grace. Um, I, I think we see a lot of that. We get caught up in words, grace and love and um, forgetting the definitions of those things. Uh, I, I wanted to go back to Nadab and Abihu, incredible example you gave, and I just want to read Moses' response to Aaron. so, um, just to kind of recap what happened there, they offered strange fire on the altar. We don't know exactly what that looked like, but they did that which was not pleasing and which was they, they were not supposed to do um, before God. And so here are Aaron's sons who are killed. And, and I think, it, you know, it's reasonable to assume Aaron had human thoughts like any father might have had. Uh, perhaps he did think, wow, that's a little harsh. We don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm just guessing there. But what we do know is Moses' response and subsequently God's response. So this is Leviticus chapter 10 and verse uh, 3. Then Moses said to Aaron, it is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. And before all the people, I will be honored. And here is a fascinating statement. So Aaron, therefore kept silent you know Aaron with his hands over his mouth had been confronted with God's righteousness and his just his exercising of justice um and yeah he didn't say that wasn't fair he didn't say well Moses but these were my sons right and um and and yet we kind of treat God like that it's interesting I think if if we could develop a habit of um thinking through uh Things we might say such as well that just doesn't seem fair because implied in that statement is that i am actually the supreme judge of what is right or wrong right we don't mean that when we say those things but it is implied in the statement um god is not a fair god he is a just god um right
1: right yeah so fair fair is more about equity giving everyone an equal share but we understand, even anyone who's been in the workplace, we understand that what is equitable, equitable itself is not always what's fair either. Um, because some people work harder. Some people do better work. Um, some people are more reliable. You know, and and in, the, in a capitalist kind of society, you know, those who are more reliable will be more rewarded. But uh, this is a great passage when we think about Nadab and Baihu. And for Aaron, um, he didn't need to hear anything else other than that God is to be treated holy and that he is to be honored. And it also keep in mind that Nadab and Abihu were were special priests. I mean, these were the sons of Aaron. They, they had special status. They were, they were a special part of this consecration ceremony. And it's a reminder to us um, as well that those of us who are ministers, those who of us who take on the position of teachers, we're held to a higher standard. Um, is that fair well I mean God says that those who are going to represent them they're going to be held to a higher standard because he has he has zeal he has jealousy for his own holy name he wants it to be honored rightly and so we take on greater responsibilities in those situations and for us instead of thinking about what is equitable or being treated like the other person we should be thinking in terms of what can we do to highlight and, and to reflect and and to be ambassadors of God's righteousness um, in a more um, in a more faithful way to who God is. And you brought up another point, and that's the idea about grace. Um, we, we talk often about you know, uh, grace today, and we, get, we throw it around quite a bit, but people take it for granted. Um, they presume upon grace. I think that was your exact words. They, they presume upon grace. But that happens the more blessings we receive. The more blessings we receive, the higher our standards of what we think we deserve become. Know rather than recognizing that we deserve nothing and then everything we receive is really a gift from God. So we live in a society that I think that's a product of the prosperity that has been enjoyed here in America for so long. Um, But it points to the fact that you can't even fully understand grace until you understand God's righteousness and justice. Mm. When you understand God's justice and righteousness, then it gives you a starting point for recognizing what actually it is that you deserve. And then to be able to appreciate everything above that and this is a struggle with kids we don't have kids but we know that every parent with your kids at some point and probably often as they're growing up you you struggle with their level of appreciation for the things that you do for you because they often um, act like they deserve what it is that, that you give them rather than recognizing that it's by the grace of god and i've counseled parents and i'm kind of going off track but just a quick example I've counseled parents, for instance, who are having trouble with knowing, okay, well, they have these devices, they have these smartphones, and they're always on them, and, and they don't know how to get, get, get those devices away from them and get them to pay attention to people and all that. And I tell parents, I said, look, those devices, they belong to you. They don't belong to your kids. You know, so you, you've got to take that mentality and help them to recognize that as long as you act responsibly, you can have that device. But the moment you act irresponsibly, then it's going to be taken away. We will shut down the service. We'll, we'll take away that um, access to that device to you. And if you complain, recognize, look, you have a choice. You can either obey or you can disobey. And so righteousness helps us to reset where is the starting point of where grace really is, what, what it is that we truly need, and then what it is that we deserve above and beyond, what, what it is that, that is really a gift of God above and beyond that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'll quick to say, I think it's been God's blessing in the U.S. that we have had the abundance we have, but certainly that was meant to be shepherded well, stewarded well, uh, rather. Um, And, you know, we've gone way past that to stewarding it well to demanding it, really. And, you know, and, and again, just going back to some of the biggest movements that combat or fight against God's real justice, the critical race theory movement. Um, I mean, the, this, the social justice movement, rather, which includes critical race theory, um, you know, demands things that just simply don't belong to them. Right. Um, and there's so many wrong doctrines in that. But, it, you know, I, was, I pulled up Romans 9 here um, where uh, they're referencing Esau and Jacob. Right. And so uh, 913, just as it is written, Jacob, I loved, but Esau, I hated. What shall we say then? Uh, Paul says there's no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Um, What an excellent statement, um, just covering so many of God's attributes. Um, And yeah, we should take that to heart.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and both of those attributes, the grace and and the compassion of God. That was also in that um, Exodus verse as well. In fact, he was quoting Exodus when he did that. Mm -hmm. And both, and we understand that grace, that's unmerited favor, that's receiving something good that you did not deserve. Compassion is not all that different. Compassion implies that there is someone in a greater position or greater wealth or greater power or greater position of privilege to be able to provide to someone who is um who is hurting um, who is in need but that person that's giving is not obligated to give to the person in need so compassion is really seeing someone who is in a a difficult situation and and feeling for the needs of that person and wanting to be able to provide for that person and in fact, in the Hebrew, the word for compassion is the same word used for the affection that a mother has for her child. In fact, it literally refers to the inner parts and referring to the area where the womb is. And so a, a mother has an affection for the child, wanting to take care of the child, wanting to make sure that his, his or her needs are met, that he's fed, that he has something to drink and, and taken care of and all those kinds of things. And so we, when we talk about all those things, once again, we, we have to level set ourselves towards the, the position of what is it that we absolutely deserve. And when we start there, we can really start to understand these other attributes. In fact, as we've talked about the love of God, I've often told people that you are actually in no position to understand the love, grace, or mercy of God until you first understand His holiness, righteousness, and justice. So that's why you start with those attributes when you're studying the attributes, and then you can better understand the grace, mercy, and love of God. And it's the same thing when we give the gospel, we give the gospel, we start off with the bad news. You're a sinner, this is what you deserve. Because once you understand the bad news, then you can bring the good news and say, but God sent his son into the world, because he so loved the world that if you put your faith into him, you will not perish, but have life everlasting. So, Those are, those are good reminders there. Every time we see these verses that talk about the grace and compassion of God. And as you mentioned in Romans nine, that God is the one who chooses whom to have grace and compassion on. And he has every right to do that because that is above and beyond what we all deserve.
0: Yeah. And I mean, absolutely. And I just think, and so this stuff's going to continue coming. It's going to continue infiltrating the church. It's going to continue, you know, words will be twisted And, you know, for believers, we've got to adopt the standard of asking, what does the scripture teach? What does God say about X? What does God say about what justice is? Um, You know, go back and read through the books of the law. If you're unsure what justice looks like, read through the books of the law, go through Leviticus, go through Deuteronomy. And I mean, just go through the whole first five books and you see over and over again, God giving us, um, you know, the patterns of what is right and what is wrong and, you know, understand there are divisions in the law, right? There are things that we are no longer bound to because we're not the nation of Israel. Um, we, we, we don't have to abide by the ceremonial laws any longer, but the moral ethical laws, those things will forever be true for every generation in every place at all times. Um, and those are the things that God has said are good and right. Um, They're the things that God has said are not good and not right. And when the culture comes in and says otherwise, you know, then we can stand firm and say, well, no, that's not true. Um, You're, you're asking for reparations because you are attributing the sins of the father to the son. And we know that that is not something God does. I'm not responsible for my great, great, great grandparents who uh, actually my own personal family were probably indentured servants, but in any case, um, I'm not responsible for the sins of generations past that may have done sins. And so for our generation to come and now say, no, I deserve reparations. Well, actually, you you deserve punishment for your sin of partiality, because that's what that is. It's, all co- it's also covetousness. Um, it, it's amazing how many of just the Ten Commandments get broken in the social justice movement Um, And and so when those things come into the church and people say, just to be honest and frank, dumb things like, you know, these are analytical tools, um, we can say, well, no, they're not because scripture's already given us what's right and what's wrong. Um, And so let's set those things aside. They're worldly. They're not, in fact, biblical. And and let's do justice um, when we need to. I don't know a single pastor, and you probably don't personally either, at least not in our circles, that would ignore um, real genuine partiality in the church in the form of racism. Um, You know, if that came up, we would deal with it, right? The church would deal with it or abuse or whatever it is, you know, whatever sin is, is the big fad thing in the culture today, we deal with those things. But we aren't going to blanket everyone and just say, if you have X skin color, you're automatically, you know, this type of person. Um, We don't do that because God doesn't do that. Christ, um, you know, we're followers of Christ and Christ being the second person of the Trinity. God has set the standards for what's right and what's wrong. And that's where we take our standards from.
1: Yeah, that's, <clears throat> those are good thoughts. And when we talk about that social justice movement and, and recently what we've seen are people, or I think it was Coca-Cola, be less white, right? Which oh, is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think someone, and I just saw it this morning and I apologize. I don't remember who said this initially, but someone made the point that, wait a second, cultural appropriation is a sin, according to people today. And cultural appropriation is, is, is when, you, when, when you give honor, in my eyes, when you give honor to a culture that's not your own. You know, when you start to exercise some of the, some of the, um, I guess some of the practices of a culture that does not belong to you, that's like cultural appropriation. Well, if you're telling a person to be less white and he's not to, con- you know, he's not to commit the sin of a cultural appropriation, what is it that you expect him to be, right? And so it's 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 a ridiculous um, kind of statement, it's a ridiculous kind of direction, and it also um, says it suggests that God made a mistake by making someone white because white is mm. somehow inherently more guilty and to your point that you know we are responsible for the sins that we commit not the sins that our fathers um, or grandfathers committed i mean ezekiel chapter 18 verse 20 says the person who sins will die the son will not bear the punishment for the father's Mm -hmm. iniquity nor will the father bear the punishment for the sons iniquity the righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself And he goes on to flesh that out even more with the next um, several verses. But it can't be more clear that when people today ask for reparations, the question is, okay, who exactly wronged you directly? Who today Hmm. wronged you directly? We're not talking about your forefathers. We're not talking about people who are three or four generations before you. Because when we talk about those kinds of reparations, you're asking for people that were not involved in that crime to give you money and you were not the recipient, you were not the victim of that crime. So we, we can't go back in time and suddenly say we're going to pay this forward through the through the grandchildren. But the other problem with that, too, and Daryl Harrison and, and Virgil Walker have pointed this out uh, well, that, you know, a lot of the original slaveholders were actually black. You know, so what do they do? Do they pay reparations to themselves? You know, how, how, how does that work? And then for Asians, I mean, so there were Chinese people that were put under slavery, you know, in San Francisco in particularly, you you know, but there's been no, as far as I know, there's been no reparations to them. So we we get caught into these, uh, you know, you need to give me this and you need to give me that. And it goes above and beyond what really the scriptures call us for in terms of justice. Now, a lot of people will go to Old Testament examples like Daniel. Um, praying that prayer of repentance for all of Israel, for his forefathers and whatnot. But you have to understand that's part of the Mosaic law. The Mosaic covenant was that punishment would come upon the nation if they continued to disobey God. And they would not be reinstated. They would not be restored until they have come to repent. And so that that was part of the covenant obligation that they had. But Ezekiel makes very clear, and this was during the exile times. Ezekiel was the prophet in Babylon. Um, Ezekiel makes it very clear that you are being punished for your own sin. You're not being punished mm-hmm. for your father's sin. And by the way, that was what they were saying at that yeah. time. They were they were kind of social justice warriors themselves saying that we're only doing this because of what our fathers did. No, you're, you're paying this punishment because of what you have done. You're, you're not bearing the punishment for your fathers. And so we always have to go back to this sense of what is right in God's eyes rather than what is right in our eyes. And I like the fact that you pointed out how The law, especially when we talk about the the moral law that we are to follow, that standard hasn't changed from Old Testament to New Testament. The blessing of the new covenant now is that um, Jesus Christ has paid for the sins of Mm -hmm. all of our um, committing, uh, uh, all the ways that we have broken that law. He has paid for that, but we have also received the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we may now be free to do what we could not do before. And Ezekiel goes on to talk about the heart of flesh Um, Jeremiah talks about how the laws will be written on our hearts. Um, Moses talks about how our heart will be circumcised, and that all comes with the idea that we would now turn towards God and do more of what we did not do before, prior to being saved.
0: Yeah, the I never really thought about you know those guys being social justice warriors back in the day but that's a good point brother and you know i i think of other things like i mean it, sometimes if we just reason through using scripture the reality is if a group of people are demanding restitution from someone who did not sin against them it's just tantamount to theft right uh, how is that justice right, uh, right stealing right. is not justice um and and so we when you think through these things i mean you really just see the hypocrisy you know, Coke, for instance, i I'm pretty sure they're still selling vanilla coke. <laughs> um, you yeah, know, it it's just these things have gotten so ridiculous. and and we understand, I, I think we shouldn't be overly concerned that the world is adopting these things. And what I mean right. by that is just simply to say, Scripture makes it very clear. God's gonna, God is turning uh, people over to their depravity. This, is, this lawlessness, these things are going to increase you know, as we come closer to the return of Christ. So we should fight against these things, uh, at least the church um, and ourselves adopting these things. We should take every advantage we can get to proclaim the gospel and truth of Christ so that these people can have their eyes opened um we these people are not our enemies right they're our mission field right um and we so easily uh get caught up i think at least i find myself tempted to get so caught up in the battle for truth that sometimes i perceive the world as my enemy and that's just not the case we really need to guard ourselves against that um, while, while at the same time, um, you know, fighting against apostasy in the church and the adoption of these things in the church. And we do that, you know, we do that by, well, exercising church discipline. We do that by looking after one another. We do that by pointing each other to the word of God rather than to worldly ideologies out there. Um, we don't need to adopt the world's systems as analytical tools we have the bible and when we say it's sufficient right we we mean we mean that we we mean it is sufficient it is all you need to practice uh, for life and faith in christ Um, we can use outside sources and they're helpful uh, but we don't need to adopt these worldless ideologies to help us navigate how to be a christian how to honor christ how to do church Uh, we don't we don't need those things right
1: yeah, that's, that's a great point, because when we talk about human ideologies and we start to suggest that certain ideologies are needed for us to make better sense of scripture, then what you're suggesting is that prior generations were less than adequate, that they, were, that they did not have everything they needed to be able to have, uh, live out a, li- a life of godliness, as Second um, Peter 1.3 says. And you make a good point about the, really the spiritual warfare. We, contend- we, we tend to look at the world... And, and can start to make the world our enemy well we understand that the world hates god we certainly understand that but ephesians six twelve reminds us that for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers mm-hmm. against the powers against the world forces of this darkness against these spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places and so we wage this spiritual war realizing that the spiritual war impacts people and and people are um, they're children of wrath. We, before being saved, we are children of wrath. We are sons of disobedience. We're following after the ways of this world, after the prince of the power of the air. But we have to recognize that this is a spiritual battle. We're not going to win it by humanistic means. We're going to, we're going to seize victory by, by spiritual means, by the sword of the spirit, by the word of truth, and by one soul at a time going out and helping to share the gospel And doing that faithfully and helping them to bring them to God and Christ and to see the perfect standard of righteousness that God has set. Because we're living in a world of insanity now. We're living in a world of insanity where where two biological genders are being denied, where men are now being allowed to enter women's divisions and and beat them in sports. Where we're living where transvestites now are, are now reading to our children in libraries you know, where reparations is, is saying that people that had nothing to do with the original crime must pay up to people who are not victims of that original crime. It's a world of insanity, but a world in which people are doing what's right in their eyes. They think it's correct. And we can't, in our humanistic efforts, try to convince them otherwise, because it's just a my view versus your view. Well, what we need to do is present to them God's view. And, and God's view has power. God's view and and the power of the Holy Spirit who gave us the scriptures, um, the source being God and and the Holy Spirit being the the vessel working through men throughout all time. We we work through the power of God and trusting the power of God to wake people up to the truth. And and that's been happening throughout human history and has not required analytical lens of human ideologies. What it has required is these scriptures. And if the scriptures say they are sufficient, then they must have been sufficient for all time and not just in our current period after we have discovered, for instance, critical race theory or Darwinian evolution, um, things like that. So we, we have to trust that when the scriptures say it is sufficient, it is sufficient for the Christian to engage in spiritual warfare and to be a representative of God and to glorify God until the time Jesus Christ returns. We do not need human tools for that. Everything we need that is that, that we, we need to engage in this spiritual war is right there in the Bible.
0: Yeah, absolutely, brother. And in kind of wrapping this up, you know, I, again, we need to understand that God is a God of righteousness. God is perfectly right in every moral sense in everything he does. You can't separate one attribute from, for, from another. And he exercises that in, in just manners. And when we, as people want to understand what is right and what is just, then we go back to scripture, right? Because that is the character and essence of who God is. And he's told us all throughout scripture, how to define right and wrong. Um, And, and how we are like Peter, how we're supposed to live holy as he is holy. Um, You can't do that without defining these things, the way God defines them. And so run to scripture, run to your pastor um, you know, communicate with one another, but scripture has to always be that source. And just know that the world is going to continue on this avalanche of insanity, and it's going to grow just like an avalanche. Um, and, and we have to be the pillars in support of the truth. That's the church, right? There's the pillar in support of the truth. And we're supposed to disseminate that truth out into the world. Um, but you can't do that. If you're adopting the twisted ways of the world, And so we've got to guard our minds and hearts from doing that. So I would just encourage, I mean, you and myself, brother, and our listeners to just constantly adopt that question. What does the scripture say? And I, at least it's such a simple thing, but it really helps me Uh, when things come up. That's the first question in my mind. uh, And then it guards against from, okay, well that sounds right. They're using the term justice. So maybe it's good. Well, you know, um, The social justice movement, their idea of injustice, uh, their idea of justice includes theft. And that's clear when when we view that through the lens of scripture. And so we can come to the reasonable conclusion that that's not God's justice. Right. And so therefore, it's not justice in any form or fashion. You can use whatever word you want to use, but it doesn't make it true. Um, And, you know, the English English language is a changing language. Um, I hate it. Personally, it's hard to keep up these days, uh, you know, in six months, a word that meant something last year will mean something different now. Uh, but that would be my encouragement. Your ending thoughts, brother? No, a-
1: amen to that. And, and the idea of words change, even racism, the idea of racism has changed. Racism used to be about intent, um, that you view someone as being inferior and you're treating them that way. Now racism can be without intent. I mean, that's, that's really the modern definition. But this is why we rest upon God. And one of his attributes, his immutability, I think that's going to be on our list. God is unchanging. Um, And we can rest assured that what the Bible says will not change much like the world changes. And if you're on the side of truth, um, you never need to rely upon the changing meaning of words. You don't need to create new terms. You don't need ideologies to be invented. Um, If you have the truth, the truth by itself will defend itself. It will always stand. And so amen to that. And, and the other thing that you had talked about, about how we can't um, split off one attribute from the other. Of course, we're doing these podcast episodes and we're focusing on different attributes. Um, but that's, you know, what's amazing is that with each attribute you go to, if you just look at it and study it, it seems like the supreme attribute that defines who God is. And then you go to the next one. So, well, wait a second, that's the supreme attribute. And and really the key here is not to separate one for the other. We spend time looking at one in order to really delve into what that means. But really, the idea for us is we want to grow in our knowledge of God and be able to harmonize all of these attributes together and recognize that they all depend upon one another. You know, if you take out one, the the rest start to fall like dominoes. And so God is infinite in his being, he is. Separated from everyone, and, and even in holiness, we we think of holiness as being moral perfection. But to, to me, I think of His holiness in that He is separated from us in every way conceivable, in all these good attributes that that we go through. And uh, yeah, the so we want to be able to go to the scriptures. We want to wrestle with all that God says that He is, and we want to go through these studies where we learn about individual attributes. But then our challenge is to pull it all together, and the ending result should be an exalted view of God and a heart that is fueled by greater motivation to worship Him each and every day.
0: Amen, brother. And so with that, we'll end our episode today. Thank you guys for listening to us. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.